Exodus chapter 2 verses 1 to 10, entitled The Birth of Moses. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Uh, if you have uh, a Bible in front of you, if you'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 2, we've been looking at a series of examples of faith. And... Um, at the cornerstone, actually, they've, they've had Noah and Abraham. And uh, actually, I think we missed out on Noah here. We must have missed the boat somehow. Um, but uh, we had Abraham. And now we come, um, not to Moses, but to Moses' parents. And you may think, well, what on earth do we know about Moses' parents uh, that we can uh, manage to preach a sermon on them? Uh, We don't get very much, actually, from Exodus uh, chapter 2, other than the fact that uh, they were both Levites, and uh, they got married and gave birth uh, to a son. But there are other things we can find out, and uh, so it's a matter of digging out uh, where we can find out different things. Let's uh, look at some of the the background. Let's look at what their family situation was. Um, If you turn on a few pages in Exodus, you don't necessarily need to do it, uh, but in uh, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20, uh, we do manage to find out uh, what the names of Moses' uh, parents were. And uh, their names were Amram and uh, Jochebed. It says in verse 20, Amram Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. Years. So if we can go back to the family tree again. Um, can go back to that slide. Um, good. We can see that, um, see what the family tree was like. And Aaron was, in fact, uh, already uh, born. Aaron was about three years older than Moses. If you go ahead and look at how old they were when they died, you can work that out. And uh, so Moses was born uh, into a family where there was already an elder brother, Aaron, and already a sister, 
as we read uh, in chapter 2, it mentions Moses' sister. Um, We know there was a sister called Miriam later on, and uh, we don't hear of any other sisters, so probably this sister in uh, Exodus chapter 2 was was Miriam. So we're building up a picture of of a family tree. Miriam was later referred to uh, in the Bible as a prophetess later in Exodus. So the kind of picture we're getting here is of a, a, a godly family, a Levite uh, family, and uh, who were concerned to do what, uh, what God wanted. If we go a bit further into the, the background and to see um, that the Israelites had been, at this time of Moses' birth, they'd been in Egypt in other words, in in a a strange land, for 350 years. And that's a fair uh, length of time uh, to be in a different culture uh, and uh, a different country. Um, We know that they were in Egypt for a total of 430 years. Again, you can pick that up out of a later chapter of Exodus. And of course, it was another 80 years. Moses was 80 by the time he actually led them out of uh, Egypt. And so it would have been 350 years at this point when Moses was born that they had, uh, the Israelites had been uh, in the country of, of Egypt. I'm trying to think that through. That, if, thinking 350 years ago here, that would take us back to, what, 1659. It's an awful long time to think back. Charles II was just, being, just about to be restored to the monarchy uh, after the protectorate uh, government um, so you think back, if uh, you'd been, uh, you and your family and your, your, your ancestors, uh, your grandparents and great-grandparents had been in a strange land uh, since uh, the time of Charles II, uh, that's an awful long time uh, to be aliens in a different land. And things had becoming, been becoming progressively difficult, more difficult uh, for the Israelites in Egypt, hadn't they? Um, when, of course, when Joseph uh, first went to Egypt and he solved their famine problems and, Aaron, uh, and Pharaoh uh, said, uh, oh, come, bring, bring your whole family here. We'll settle you in a good place in the country, a nice fertile place, uh, and we'll, we'll look after you. And Joseph was in charge of everything in the country. But um, soon after that, um, things began to go downhill. And as the Israelites prospered, the uh, pharaoh, the kings of Egypt, began to get more and more on edge uh, about this alien people who were prospering in their land. And so they started to put the the screws on. And so it moved from from welcoming acceptance to increasing persecution and and hardship for the Israelites. And you get something of that in uh, in Exodus chapter 1. Initially... um, Pharaoh says to the, the, the Hebrew, the, the Egyptian midwives, um, look, if, it, if it's a boy, uh, make sure he doesn't survive. But the Egyptian, the, the Egyptian midwives were not cooperative. They refused to, they made excuses. Um, and so, um, eventually, at the end of chapter 1, Pharaoh gives this order to all his people, every boy that is born, that is every Israelite boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but you can let every girl live. So these were, were desperate measures and def- desperate times uh, for the Israelite peoples uh, living in Egypt. Aaron, 
at three years old had somehow survived. Presumably he'd been born before this edict had, had gone out that uh, all, the, uh, all the Hebrew boys should be put in the Nile uh, to, to put an end to the, the growth of the Israelite population. So um, Aaron was there, he survived. Miriam as a girl was there, she, she was, she'd survived. The other thing we can notice is that the, in all probability the Israelites living in Egypt had settled down, uh, felt comfortable, uh, they got into the habit of uh, worshipping the Egyptian gods and idols and so there was really um, prevailing apostasy among, among the Israelites. Um, they were living in Egypt so let's worship the Egyptian gods. They're the ones who have power in this country so we'll go along with them. So we, we get this picture um, in, in different ways, but the, uh, when Joshua, when the Israelites eventually arrived in the, in the promised land in Canaan, um, and Joshua is addressing the, the leaders there, he says to them, throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So obviously they were worshipping foreign gods, strange gods, uh, probably Egyptian gods, while they were in Egypt. So Amram and Jochebed are bringing up their family in uh, a foreign land, in a foreign culture, uh, amongst their own people who largely had gone along with that culture and with their gods. And so we can say that Amram and Jochebed were really going against the grain. They were going against the flow. They were trying to follow God, to listen to God, to know what God was doing uh, in a difficult culture and in a hostile environment. Okay, let's, uh, let's move out of Exodus. If you've got a Bible in front of you, move to Acts chapter 7. We're, we're still really trying to build up a picture of the background of what was going on at this time when Moses was born. If you move to Acts chapter 7, which I think you'll find on page 1099, if you've got uh, one of the church Bibles, Acts chapter 7. And this is, um, this is Stephen uh, giving a speech just before his martyrdom, and he's really giving an account of God's dealing with his people through the ages, and so he's picking on the significant events in God's dealings uh, with the people of Israel. And interestingly, he too picks up on Moses' Moses' parents. And if you look in verse 17, Acts 7, verse 17, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. And then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. The interesting thing to pick up on here is is how Stephen introduces uh, what was going on at the time of Moses' birth. He says, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. So he reminds us that, that God was at work in this time when the people of God seemed to be very far from him, living in a foreign land, worshipping foreign gods. But 
even at that time, God was working towards the point where he was fulfilling his covenant promise to Abraham as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. So these were not just random events that were going on uh, in Amram and Jochebed's uh, family life. God was working a great purpose out. What was uh, God's promise to Abraham? His promise was to bless all the nations through uh, his people. We look in, uh, that's from Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. This is God's promise to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's what God was doing. God was working towards fulfilling his promise to bless all the world through Abraham's descendants when he was bringing Moses into Amram and Jochebed's life there in Egypt. So here were the people of God stuck in a strange and hostile environment, uh, but in spite of this, God is at work, and at least there is, there is one family here, there in Egypt, who is ready to respond to what God is doing. I think that's what strikes me in this situation. And uh, here they are, they're expecting, they're expecting a child. Jochebed is expecting a child. No ultrasound scans. They don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. And it's going to be a big difference, isn't it? Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? Can you, can you imagine the thoughts that are going through their minds uh, as uh, the baby is about to be delivered? If it's a boy, there's this edict. They've got to put him in the... He's supposed to be thrown in the Nile and done away with. If it's a girl, okay, they can perhaps relax uh, a bit. Moses is, a child is born, it's a boy. Oh dear, what do we do? What can we do? And all of God's purposes really for his people, his blessing, his promise to Abraham, his promise to bless the world, all of that is, is really focused down on this little family living in Egypt with a baby boy just born. What are they going to do? What can they do? God was working in them uh, are they ready to, to play a part in what God is doing to bring about his purposes? Okay, another thing we can notice as we uh, look even here in Acts, um, we can see that Moses was a special baby. Um, you pick that up, he says... Uh, um, at that time, Moses was born... And he was no ordinary child, it says in Acts uh, 7.20. Well, okay, aren't, aren't all babies uh, special? Well, of course. Um, I mean, has any mother here given birth to a child who at that point in time was not the most beautiful, wonderful, gifted uh, baby in the whole world? Uh, it's a, a natural reaction of, of motherhood, isn't it? Um, all babies are special. But somehow Amram and Jochebed recognized something uh, extra special about Moses. There was something there. Um, it's an interesting word, actually, um, where the, uh, the NIV says no ordinary, uh, no ordinary child. Um, the word seems to be sort of uh, related to the town. It was sort of somehow he was a townie uh, born in a rural environment. There was something sort of polished or urbane about him. I don't know how... Uh, how you can find a, a word that, that expresses that, but he was somehow a fine, a different, a special uh, baby. 
Okay, one more passage we're going to look at, and that's in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. If you turn forward to that one, and that's on page 1210 um, in the Church Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And this is uh, a passage, a chapter which is listing all the, the heroes of the faith, those who are really noted for how they acted in faith. And once again, Moses' parents get a special mention. So, verse 23 of Hebrews 11, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child. Same word again in the Greek, uh, no ordinary child. Uh, They were not afraid of the king's edict. Um, Interestingly, in this this, uh, verse, in Hebrews 11.23, the authorised version calls him a proper child. Um, which is an interesting expression. You can just imagine the doctor coming to the father and saying, oh, your wife's just given birth to a proper child. Um, but I, I imagine it's probably going back to an old use of the word proper, perhaps closer to the, the French propre, which is more sort of clean, healthy, um, good-looking. Um, anyway, whatever. Moses was a special child. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that in each of the three passages, in Exodus, he's referred to as he was a special child in Acts when Stephen is uh, mentioning what happened at his birth he was uh, no ordinary child a special child and in Hebrews as well when he's mentioned he's mentioned as being a special child all three scripture references to Moses birth refer to him as being a special baby and somehow his parents recognize this and um, related this to what God was doing, doesn't it? And if you go look again at Hebrews 11.23, um, Moses' parents, by faith, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. They somehow recognised there was something going on here. And uh, they perhaps recognised that, that God was at work and they acted in faith. So, Moses' parents uh, acted in faith. They sensed that somehow God was doing something in their lives, in their family, in bringing Moses uh, into, their, into their family. They sensed that God was at work and they wanted to do what was right. Um, they perhaps didn't know what was the right thing to do. But I'm sure um, they prayed and it says in Hebrews, doesn't it, they, they were not afraid of the king's edict. They acted in faith because they sensed God was doing something here and they recognised that was more important than what Pharaoh said uh, should happen to all the Hebrew boys. And uh, I don't know how they arrived at their decision as to what to do. They hid him for three months, they kept him in the house, they kept him under wraps as it were, uh, tried to keep him quiet Uh, tried to uh, hide him. And it's interesting, isn't it, that actually in in Hebrews 11, their their faith, their act of faith, is actually uh, related to them hiding him for the first three months, um, rather than them taking him and putting him in the river. Um, But I'm sure that was was all done in faith, as they recognised what God was doing. And uh, when they could hide Moses no longer... Um, they, uh, they overcame their fears 
And I wonder how they reached the decision actually to uh, take a, it says, doesn't it, a papyrus basket, says in Exodus 2. It's actually the same word, it's an, an, uh, an ark. Same word as used for Noah's ark, but the scale is somewhat different. Um, here's just a, a little a, a box, a basket, which they, they covered in, in pitch and tar to make it waterproof and put it uh, presumably down on the edge of the Nile. And I don't know how they decided that was what God wanted them to do, but maybe they thought, well, Pharaoh's edict says we've got to put all our baby boys in the Nile, so we'll do it. But they just took a little extra step of giving him a little bit of protection uh, when they did it. Perhaps that was their guidance as what to do. Okay, so we've, we've built up a picture of, of the background of uh, what was going on in Moses, uh, Moses' birth at that time and the family and his parents. So let's now just move on to think about what, what can we learn from that? What's God saying to us uh, through those circumstances uh, that we can learn? Is there something we can learn about parenting, perhaps? Is there something we can learn about faith? Well, maybe we can't learn too much about uh, parenting uh, from this. Um, uh, should we all uh, take our boys and put them in the River Tame? Um, would avoid bringing them up through their teenage years, wouldn't it? Um, but uh, you know, maybe they'll float down the river and be picked up by a wandering BG on the banks of the Tame and brought up in a life of luxury or something. Um, well, okay, if that, if that horrifies you uh, to think of your child being brought up uh, in the BG culture, um, actually think about what Amram and Jochebed thought about the prospect of their son being brought up in Pharaoh's household. Um, okay, living a life of luxury, material wealth, uh, but spiritually very much uh, off the rails. So they would have been concerned about what was happening to their son. So, very briefly, I think we can say parenting requires faith. I don't think there's many parents that would uh, disagree with that. Um, we don't see the end from the beginning. We have to do what is right with our children and trust God for the outcome in many respects. Um, we um, can't know what God is going to bring out of it, but our concern is to do what's right uh, for our children. And of course, that's much prayer. I'm sure as parents, um, fervent prayer is very often connected with uh, upbringing of children, perhaps more than anything else. Parenting requires faith. Parenting tests faith as well. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I wonder whether Amram and Jochebed thought, well, did we get it wrong? Here we are, we've, we've put Moses uh, uh, in the Nile, in a basket, and now later on, when they realized he'd been absorbed into the culture of Pharaoh's household, did they think, did we do the right thing? Have we got it wrong? Did we get it wrong? And um, their faith would have been tested. He was finally taken off to Pharaoh's house and essentially lost to them. In fact, it was, it was Pharaoh's daughter, wasn't it, who actually, gave, who actually named the child Moses. It wasn't Amram and Jochebed who chose that name for him. So, they actually never saw the outcome of their faith. Um, they didn't know what the end was. Uh, so, parenting tests faith, and I'm sure Amram and Jochebed's faith was tested. But let's think perhaps more essentially, what can we learn about faith? 
And I think this idea that when we exercise faith, it doesn't necessarily mean that we know what the outcome is going to be. I'm sure Amram and Jochebed didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Um, we sometimes think of faith as having to believe that God is going to do something particular. Well, that does sometimes happen, but it isn't always that way. It's not screwing yourself up to believe something impossible, um, but it's trusting that God has power to act in impossible situations. It's trusting that God knows best and God will do um, what is best if we act in trust for him. So let's just pick on four things to learn about uh, faith. Firstly, faith means getting in step with God. It's uh, an underlying trust then that God knows what he's doing and it's an underlying trust that has to start at the cross. We have to look at the cross, at Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection and and know that that was God at work and that that has an impact on my life and I need to respond to the cross, uh, not as an act of folly, but to see that in that God was working his purpose out to bring my salvation, uh, to bring me uh, into a relationship with him. So faith is an underlying trust that has to start at the cross, but it doesn't stop at the cross, does it? It goes on. God wants to lead us on. And God is at work, working his purposes out as year goes on year, both in our family and in the world at large. And I think we, we may be sometimes discouraged at circumstances and um, wonder what God is doing. And I think it's good um, to, to look up and to see signs of what God is doing around us. Somehow Amram and Jochebed sensed that God was at work. God was doing something. What was their part in it? How should they respond? And I think it's very good to, to, to look around from time to time and think, well, okay, what, what's God doing in my family? What's, what's God's purpose at work here? What's he leading us towards? What's God doing in my community? I was really encouraged um, to look at the, uh, the tame town crier which came through our letterbox a week or so ago, I think just over a week ago, and, and to see that the number of links with Christian activities that, that there are uh, within the, the town uh, that the, the town council recognises and in many cases supports, um, like the, uh, the lighthouse uh, um, the, the, the young kids and the, and the, the silver lighthouse for the older people. Um, the community is involved in that. They're getting involved in street uh, pastors and so on. There, there, are, there are a number of areas in which we can see that, that God is somehow at work in our community, um, building uh, in areas uh, that, that reach out to the community. God is at work. Um, we can look nationally. It's good to think about, well, what is God doing amongst us as a nation? okay, we can, we can get discouraged, we can get despondent. Um, again, at that level, I was interested, the, the Christian Institute, their last uh, um, update, which came again about a week ago, uh, lists four victories, if you like, for freedom of speech uh, that have been won just in the last few weeks as a result of, of prayer uh, and of writing to MPs, writing to people in the House of Lords uh, to, to encourage... Um, Christian ethics and moral standards to be maintained 
and Christian freedoms to be maintained. So let's look around, see what God is doing and think, how do we respond to that as, as individuals? What, how do we exercise faith as we see what God is doing around us? The, the Square Mile uh, program that we were doing in home groups uh, has perhaps helped us to see how, how we should be an influence in our communities and in the nation uh, at large. Okay, so faith means getting in step with God. Faith involves action. It's not just stepping back and letting things happen and saying, oh, well, I've trusted God for that. I don't need to do anything. Amram and Jochebed got very involved in what was going on. And uh, it, it, uh, it, it means uh, not having to control everything ourselves, not having to make sure that everything happens just exactly in the way that we think it should, but it does mean committing things to God, trusting that God knows best, but not just stepping back and, and not doing anything, but uh, getting involved. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that Miriam uh, was, uh, was sent um, to, to keep an eye on uh, what was going on when they put Moses uh, in the basket uh, in, in the river. Mo, uh, Miriam uh, was, was standing to keep an eye on things to see what was happening. And, and when Pharaoh's daughter um, found the baby, picked him out, Miriam was there to say, uh, oh, would you like me to find a midwife for, for this baby? Uh, a nurse, rather, not a midwife at that point. Uh, would you like me to find a nurse for this baby? Oh, yes. Okay, and so Moses goes back, actually, to his mother uh, to, to nurse him, uh, to suckle him, uh, to bring him up for, for a few more months, maybe another year or so, um, and she actually gets paid um, child tax credit or something, whatever they have nowadays. Um, uh, Pharaoh's daughter says, I'll pay you for looking after uh, this, this baby. So things seem to be going well. Um, it was encouraging. Uh, faith involves uh, action. It doesn't involve just letting go and letting God. I've been reading this book by uh, Don Carson. It's taken me about two years to get through it. Uh, becoming conversant with the emerging church. But right at the end, just a short quote here. Um, he says uh, on this topic that the dominant biblical pattern is neither let go and let God, nor is it God has done his bit and now it's all up to you, but rather, since God is powerfully at work in you, you yourself must make every effort. Since God is powerfully at work in you, you must make every effort. God is at work in us, around us, in situations. We need to respond to that, get involved, uh, and, uh, and uh, do things, not just to stand back and say, oh, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. We need to get involved. So faith involves action. Thirdly, in what we can learn about faith, faith is tested step by step. We've uh, thought about that. It's, it's not something that's there once and for always, but faith, our faith is tested as we move on through life. As I said, it, faith has to start at the cross, seeing what God has done for us in Jesus in bringing us forgiveness and uh, a relationship with him. But it moves on from there. Our life with God, walking with God, is, is a pilgrimage. Situations change, circumstances change, jobs change, families change and we need to move on step by step. 
and we move into different areas where our, our faith and our trust is going to be tested in different areas. It was with Amram and Jochebed, wasn't it? To start with, they hid Moses for three months. That worked all right for a time, but it wasn't going to work forever. They needed to know what God's uh, plan for them was after that, as Moses uh, grew older, and uh, they, they hid him in the river. So there were the ups and downs, the encouragement when they got the child back again to look after for a bit longer and were paid for doing it. But then there was the discouragement uh, when Moses was eventually taken off into, Moses, into Pharaoh's household and perhaps they lost uh, touch with him. Whose, whose son was he really? Was he still really their son or was he now the son of Pharaoh's daughter? They must have been discouraged. And um, they, they, never, they never saw the end from the beginning. They, Amram and Jochebed would never have seen what God had done through their acts of faith, what God had brought out of it. The salvation of, of uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, brought out of slavery in Egypt. That was another 80 years uh, down the line. And it's interesting, isn't it? At, at the end of, of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 11, um, it says, of all those people who exercised faith, it says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them received what had been promised. Our faith is tested. We don't see the end from the beginning. We have to trust that God is at work. As the beginning of Hebrews 11 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then lastly, uh, what can we learn about faith? Faith applies at all levels, global and personal. God is at work at all levels, and we need to trust him at all levels. Personal level, what's God doing in my life? How should I be walking with him at this point of my life? As a family, what's God doing in our family? How should we be trusting him as a family? In our community, in our church, uh, in the area in which we live. What's God doing? How do we need to be involved? How do we trust him? Nationally, globally, God is at work. In, in Moses' parents' time, in the time that we've been looking at, God was at work to set his people free from slavery in Egypt. And God needed people. He needed Amram and Jochebed to be faithful in those testing circumstances. When God acted by sending his son into the world to set us free from sin, when he sent Jesus into the world, Mary and Joseph had to act in faith uh, in, uh, against a background of misunderstanding and criticism. And what's God doing in our day? What's God working towards in our day? Well, <clears throat> if you look in uh, Romans chapter 8, that will be one example of what God is doing. God is working towards the day when all creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. God is at work towards the day when creation itself is going to be set free. He, he, he still has a, a wonderful purpose in mind. Even though we may be discouraged, even though we may see um, things going wrong, God is powerfully at work and I think that's what I'd like to, us to, to get a picture for this morning is that God is at work 
God is at work in situations. God is at work in families. God is at work in our lives. What's God asking you to do? To, to step out in faith and to do for him uh, at this time. What testing circumstances do you need to, to trust him through? What we've seen here is, is an ordinary family caught up in extraordinary events. Amram and Jochebed caught up in extraordinary events. God was fulfilling his purpose, his promise to Abraham to bless the world. And God is still at work around us now. It's very easy to give in to fears and doubts, regrets perhaps. Have we done the right thing? Uh, Did we get it wrong? God wants us to move on from here, not to be consumed by past doubts and regrets and fears, but to look up and to look ahead and, and think, well, what if? What if I did look up and see what God was doing? What if I trusted him in these circumstances? What if I asked him to see what's, what's, what should I be doing in this situation? What should I be doing in my family, uh, in my community, in my nation? If we trusted God and walked with him, then I think we would see him at work in a, in a new way, exercising our faith, testing our faith, but blessing us through that as he seeks to, to bless the nations of the world.